Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for a huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello everyone, I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, it's our first show of 2023. What does the cabal think it has in store for you and me? Will we negotiate the year with chivalry, or will it be with delinquency? How long can mainstream media minions, having lost all our trust, prevent the exposure of truth before they spontaneously combust? Oh, it's a bawdy, tawdry, and distinctly ungodly, strange little world. As always, my beautiful darlings, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. And as always, my darlings, we are really, really successful, I will admit to that. But we are honor bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then, don't we? Yes, we do. In fact, for your pleasure, let me take a moment and give today's special New Year's cocktail a test sip. Hold on while I try to remember where I put my cocktail. Hold on. Oh, there it is. Test sip coming up. Ooh, bubbly. Mm. That is very nice. And we'll talk more about that toward the end of the show. If you're joining us for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, however, this show is not politically correct so as not to erode the intellect. We are quite laid back as far as things go. After all, metaphysical martini is where the Holy Spirit meets top shelf distilled spirits. But we are all too aware of the greater deep state agenda to pasteurize, homogenize and sanitize mankind. And we martini heads, we will fight to the last drop of our blood and to the last drop of our cask-conditioned Irish whiskey to expose this darkness and to bring those responsible to justice. Welcome to 2023. To all the people out there who said repeatedly, Oh, I don't care about politics. I don't want to get involved. Hmm. How's that working for you, my darlings? 
And to all the people who said, I don't want to know about anything bad in the world. I just want to focus on unicorns and cheesecakes and tutus for my fairies. Are you happy with your decision? And to all the people who said, I voted true blue all the way. You're going to have to wash your heads thoroughly when you pull them out of your asses. And the same applies to those who uh, voted red, really, believing that their party was immune to deep states, deep pockets. Clearly, that is not the case. Now, most of us, we have to admit, we were aware we had no option but to vote red last time around. Um, because there were still more people on the red team calling out the corruption than there were on the blue team. And while there are still plenty of bought and paid for rhinos on the red team, boy, are they having a difficult time right now with the whole speaker issue. Anyway, those still on the blue team, those going true blue all the way, and this administration can do no wrong, whatever the heck that means, they fully embraced Lucifer's globalist message, more than embraced. They have invited it into their beds and they are trying to have children with it. Quite literally, spawns of Satan, Ugh. filled with immoral ideas and a goodly dose of hating anything resembling a rational mind. We have fallen quite far from Eden, haven't we? <laughs> we are now on the wrong end of town on a Saturday night in a town where the police have been defunded and criminals are encouraged to ply their trade. Well, my darlings, I don't know about you, but I'm not supporting that agenda. No one with common sense is supporting that agenda. No one with a moral compass is supporting that agenda. No one with half a working thinking brain is supporting that agenda. You see, the type of globalism these perverts are peddling has nothing to do with oneness through source. It is new world order plain and simple. The planet becomes a private corporation under one rule of law, one religion or one philosophy, whatever they're going to call it, one currency and total censorship for anything outside the official party line. People will be the workers, the labor force and blessed mother earth is a vast inventory of resources to be plundered by sociopaths who have severed their connection to source. Oh joy, how did we get here? Hmm. There's a long list of reasons, but first and foremost, we are here because we chose to worship the false ego and to make the false ego our point of focus instead of our unlimited, magnificent, glorious divinity, which just happens to be our true and only real nature. We chose disorientation and dysfunction over divine alignment and rational mind. We are part of the allness and somehow we've been convinced to live in our smallness. To which I say, WTF, my darlings, how does that make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't. And yet, here we are. To all the parents and guardians out there fighting a corrupt and dangerously deviant education system, thank you. I am glad I made the choice not to have children. 
I mean, if my son came home from school and informed me that his teacher told him it was okay to cut his willy off and become a woman, how would I react? I have to ask myself this. How would I react? I suspect I would take him out of school double quick time. I would ask his father to counsel him on the error of the so-called teacher's ways. And then I would unleash some sort of holy heck upon the aforementioned pedophile corrupter of my progeny. These people have serious mental health issues, and this is me being polite because I'm on the radio. I do believe in ye old read, which says, and it harm no one, do as you please. After all, my darlings, in every respect, even though I'm a tad on the conservative side, my ideology is way, way, way out there libertarian. But even I have to admit, readily and easily, sexualizing children is harmful. Engaging them in sexual acts is not only harmful, both physically and emotionally, it is repugnant. And although it has been going on for thousands of years, it has picked up speed double quick time in the past few decades. Most of it was hidden in plain view. You know, priests buggering little boys and when they were called out on their actions, assuring the parents, oh dear, Mrs. O'Brien, this is such a rare event and oh my God, the bishop is distraught and will make sure this never happens again in his parish. And oh my God, Mrs. O'Brien, here's a nice little check for you, which will more than cover the therapy sessions. And please sign here, my darling, to say you agree to confidentiality upon cashing our check. In certain parts of America, funny enough, in places I think we would consider in or near the Bible Belt, they put lipstick and full makeup on young girls, girls well below the age of puberty, and enter them in beauty pageants. That is sexualizing children, and it is abhorrent. I've been a counsellor for many years now, and as such, I have encountered my fair share of dysfunction. But this pedophile gender confusion is not some random phase our civilization is going through. It's not. Think about it. I mean, we've always had weirdness. We've always had people incarnating and going, oh, maybe I made a bad decision or maybe I made a decision to shake things up again. You know, who knows what people's soul contracts and pre-birth agreements are. But that's not what's going on here. This is a well-planned agenda to blur all the lines between good and evil, between functional and dysfunctional. It is a plan to turn our rational, lucid, sensible minds into slush, the sort of cheap, nasty slush you buy at a 7-Eleven in a big cup. It's a plan to take all that is good and decent and to turn this planet into Saturnalia on crack and meth 24-7. That way, the Cabal, who openly worship Lucifer, if you would but open your eyes to see it, that way, with all the lines blurred, they can do as they please. They're telling you it is tolerance, but it's not. We have no obligation to tolerate insanity. We have an obligation to expose it and to fix it. 
not put up with it and certainly not accepted as decent behavior. Look around today and see what happens when you fear speaking up for all that is good and decent. Fear is the mind killer and the only part of us that even acknowledges fear is the corrupt program we call the false ego. Remove the ego from the personality and you have a heightened state of awareness which is pertinent to one's survival but not fear which is not because it freezes you and when you're frozen you can't move. Divine beings have nothing to fear. Cosmic co-creators who write their own stories in alignment with the divine have nothing to fear. People fear these sociopath perverts. Why? They don't even, they don't co-create. They don't have anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with God. Look, a sociopath is someone who has severed their connection to the divine and focuses only on what is material and that is not sustainable because our divinity is the only part of us that's real. They the sociopaths do not co-create with the divine. They have severed willingly their access to cosmic energy. But they have to live, don't they? And to live, you need some sort of fuel to continue living. And that energy that they feed on is our collective fear. That's why they wrote it into the human blueprint. God didn't write it. Fear is their fuel, and truth and the love of our Creator and each other is ours. Think about it. If that nasty little rodent mass murderer Grouchy Fauci got up on television and told us, you're all going to die, this virus which I created is going to kill you all if you don't cover your faces, refrain from touching each other, and inject yourselves with a bioweapon, the true murder weapon which I also created. An aligned mind would question it, not fall into mind-numbing fear. And when he went on to say, this virus can't harm you if you stay six feet apart, and it can't harm you if you're sitting down in a restaurant and actually eating, but it can harm you if you're sitting down in a restaurant and not eating. It can't harm you in Walmart, but it can harm you if you're supporting a smaller local business. An aligned mind would not only question it, it would laugh it off. It would go, WTF, what the Fauci? What are you talking about? You see, without our fear, there would be no fuel for Fauci and the other servants of the destroyers of worlds. I think a great many of us are figuring this out now. We are also encouraged by this great awakening that is finally happening. Huzzah! People are beginning to realize that mainstream news is the mouth of Sauron. Doesn't matter if it's red or blue or pink or green, it is the mouth of Sauron. The news has been refined to such an extent that it hijacks the mind and alters your perception. That is what they do with it. Billions were poured into making it so. If one takes the time to study how corporations bought government, governments all across the globe, you will see the patterns and the agenda becomes quite obvious and you will kick yourselves in the ass for being duped by it and for allowing great evil into our world. As we begin our journey into 2023, let's promise to do better. 
stop supporting your party because it was your parents' party, or because you fell for their mission statement. We are in dark versus light, not red versus blue. The two-party system, or the multi-party system, is the oldest trick in the book. It exists to divide and to confuse, and to keep people at each other's throats in perpetuum. Making decisions for the good of your country, for the good of the people who make up your country, those decisions shouldn't be coloured by your party stand on such issues because the days when parties actually stood for something have long gone. Bye-bye, they're gone. If it's a good idea, for the good of all, it doesn't need to be run through a colour filter. Let's end this deeply dysfunctional two-party system and have the American Assembly. No left, no right, no pissed-off people on the fence with nowhere to go. I didn't stand up for Trump because he's a Republican. I don't agree, by the way, with every decision he has made. But I support him because he had the guts to stand up to the cabal and expose their corruption, expose their perversion of all that is good and whole and holy. And he knew he would be ridiculed. He knew he would be humiliated and that many, many, many attempts would be made on his life, the lives of his family, the lives of his friends. But he's an alpha male with a spiritual core and he has no fear. And he has no fear because he knows he serves the righteous path. And those who serve the righteous path are prepared to die on that hill or in Donald's case, Capitol Hill. My darlings, let's make our goal for 2023 cosmic alignment, common sense. There are white hats and there are black hats and they are at war. But I cannot stress this enough. We cannot rely on them for our salvation. Let us not delegate our salvation. Let us create the wave of light they can ride on when they stop this chess game and finally take some decisive action. I want action. And to the white hats I say, come on babies, let's go for it. I Okay, maybe I'm just being a little bit hasty. I, they have a plan. There's a plan, apparently. Everyone's following a plan. All I see is people getting cancer and dying around me. So I'd like things to wrap up a little better here. I had the pleasure of chatting with Commander Hatton on Christmas Day. And even he was frustrated with the White Hats dragging their heels. He could see no good reason for it. Because, you know, enough are awakening for a decisive move to fly. So what the hang-up is, no one up there seems to know. But, you know, IMO, there are only so many T's to cross and I's to dot before you lose momentum. So if anybody wants my opinion, and, you know, if you're listening to the show, I guess you're either really bored or you want my opinion. I'm like, white hats, come on, let's kick some asses. I'm going to have my little drinky poo now and stop the bubbles getting into my nose. Mm, that's quite decent. I, I like that. Now, darlings, I do realize that for the NPCs, uh, the non-playing characters, those who think that watching both CNN and MSNBC is all the research that needs to be done, for those peeps, I do realize the awakening is going to be hideous. And I suppose that is why they're not doing it all at once. I mean, if we were to expose everything all at once, 
I have always talked about the collapsed psyches that happen during awakenings. I suppose we wouldn't be able to functionally deal with that level of fallout. I don't know. But, you know, I've got to put myself in their shoes. So, I, you know, I think I'm a fairly intelligent person. I probably would have figured this out even if I didn't have the background of serving deep state and growing up in a safe house and all of that. So I would say, how would I like it if I realized that everything I believed was supporting, that I believed was supporting me was actually an impediment designed to stop me from flourishing, from reaching my cosmic potential. I mean, I imagine the storm of emotions that would well up inside me as I begin to make sense of it all. Rage is usually the first step, outrage. It's a bit like finding out that your favorite uncle is a serial killer. Now you have to question if the advice he gave you over the years was good advice or was his goal to alter your perception, to manipulate you, to gain his trust so you wouldn't notice he was fattening you up for the slaughter. Anyway, where was I? And by the way, none of my uncles are serial killers. Um, oh yes, I know where I was. Creating the wave of light for the truth to ride in on. That means focusing on basic tenets of cosmic co-creation, such as raising and maintaining a high vibration. Hatton mentioned this, too, in our little crimbo chat. He said something along the lines of, what will ensure a light-filled outcome is to live in as much love as you can. Love, which simply means being aligned with the allness, dispels the fear, and without fear, the cabal cannot exist. Let me say that again. Without fear, the cabal cannot exist. Kindness, compassion, empathy, spirit-filled humanity. Practice it every day, for in the long run, that is what will make the difference. And he assured us the cabal will be dismantled. He says along the lines of, do not submit or lose hope and spend each day in light, and it will magnify the light in your realm and speed the process. And to that many will say, oh, we're so tired of hearing those well-worn platitudes. And to them, I say this. Please give me a list of all the actions you have taken to bring light into our world, and then follow it up with your plans for the future as co-creators, not as people waiting for someone else to expose corruption and for someone else to do something about it. I look back to the beginning of most of this uh, white hat, black hat thing, you know, when those things came into the common vernacular. Do you remember back in the beginning, those who claimed to know what the white hats were up to? And they told us it would take 30 days from start to finish to expose everything and then fix everything. Well, you know, there's a military mind because it's certainly not a philosophical mind. It's certainly not an intellectual civilian mind. You know, we were told the military have it all in hand. And now many people, because it wasn't explained to them properly, many people believe the only thing the military have in hand are their dicks. So what a load of codswallop that was. 30 days, ma'am, and it'll all be over. A cursory glance at the history of civilization, misrepresented though it is, teaches us that empires do not rise and fall overnight. And, uh, you know, once they do rise or fall, it takes a goodly length of time for people to adjust or rebel or 
kill themselves or whatever they're going to do. Darlings, there is a simple fix to all of this dysfunction, one that will take us from patching up wounds to permanent healing. And permanent healing, of course, is nothing more than going back into divine alignment and staying there. So do you know what that fix is? Answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> it starts with this. To thine own self be true. It's an excellent jumping off point for prayerful, prayerful contemplation. Because if you know yourself, you know what you are. No one can dupe you. And on that note of encouragement, let me have a sip of my drinky poo-poo. Mm. And let me end my pontification and get on with the rest of the show. And let's begin, as we always do, almost always do, with quack questions, answers and comments. If you would like to share your magnificence with Martini Heads Worldwide, send your emails to me, arnie at arnieavidician.com, or via snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And should your cosmic conundrum be chosen for mass dissemination, please let us know if and how you wish to be identified, or we shall refer to you as omit personal details. All right, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Shakey, shakey. And let's see what pops out. So our first missive is from Coral in Seattle, who asks, what is your definition of grace? I can answer that without moan or fuss, and I will give you an answer that you can trust. Um, <laughs> uh, the meaning of grace. Um, to me, the meaning of grace is uh, you'll know it when the ego is no longer in your face. Okay, what else is in the fishbowl? Oh, here's a lovely postcard from Viejo San Juan, Puerto Rico. And it's from Caribbean Queen. Oh, Your Majesty, thank you for writing to me. And it says, Dear Ani, have you noticed the change in the sun? It shines cooler like a diamond rather than a fireball. Why is this good? Well, Caribbean Queen, we haven't had much sun here in the Pacific Northwest lately. <laughs> but to answer your question, um, even allowing for ascension changes, I personally have not noticed a difference. Perhaps it is you who is changing. Perhaps your subtle senses are kicking in and you are seeing things on a whole new level. As we become less dense, a side effect of cosmic alignment, our vision, both physical and subtle, changes. And that won't be limited to the sun or to planetary bodies. So perhaps you're somebody who does a lot of meditations. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done one of those meditations where you stare at an object, or more accurate to say, you stare through an object until it blurs, and then it starts to move, and in the movement, the object no longer matches the form or function associated with it. It takes a great deal of concentration to pull that particular meditation off, but for most people, it is a useful exercise in understanding why a table is not, in fact, a table. I think it's you. I think your perception is being altered in ways that are very good. So thanks for writing in. 
because the sun is the warmth that gives us life. And it pleases me to know that people still revere and pay attention to it. Thank you, Caribbean Queen. If I make it to Puerto Rico, and I hope I will, we'll go out for some excellent Puerto Rico rum. I love rum mixed with coconut water on the rocks on a hot day. Mmm, me gusta mucho. Es muy refrescante. Mm. All right. What else is in the fishbowl today? Sorting through the little fishbowl. This is from Hannah in Dover. And, and that is um, Dover in Delaware, not the Dover back in the UK. And Hannah in Dover asks, how do you get motivated when you have no motivation? P.S. Annie, can you answer in rhyme, please? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, Hannah, since that's all you wrote, I can't provide advice tailored to your situation. But in general, and for most of us, motivation comes and goes. We have days where we feel it. We have days where we really feel it and days when we don't. Now, if it's becoming a pattern, you know, the lack of motivation for you, then we need to nip that in the bud before it becomes something like depression. So first, ask yourself why you lost your motivation. And your motivation for what? Is it for specific tasks or motivation in general for life? The answer, my child, is within you if you are honest enough and still enough to hear the quiet voice within. Resistance is as real as anything else is real on this realm. And resistance can be difficult to overcome because it's an ego issue. Again, your smallness keeping you from doing the things that serve your allness. My way of dealing with it is this. So you're not motivated and you're waiting for something to motivate you. That thing may or may not come. So you just acknowledge that you're having resistance. Accept it because acceptance takes the resistance out of the resistance. And here's the magic part. Just do it anyway. It needs to be done. Why procrastinate? Admit that you don't want to do it. Admit you're having resistance and then just bloody well do it because you're a grown up, you see. You're an adult. Make mature decisions. You make the choice. You run your mind and consequently your life. And if you don't do that, the miasma of resistance runs your mind and your life. So as they say, idle hands do the devil's work. Tidy minds will never a duty shirk. Procrastination creates unclaimed luggage. And there is tax to be paid on that tonnage. So get up off your ass and give laziness a pass. Ta-da! You did want me to answer in rhyme, so there we are. Thank you, Hannah in Dover in Delaware. I hope you're really motivated by that now. Shall we take another question? Let's do it. What else is in the bowl over here? Let's see. Oh, yeah. All right. This is from Rodney who is originally from Manchester in the UK. My favorite team, Manchester United. But Rodney now lives most of the year in Mallorca. Well, for my American listeners, a great many Brits retire to the Balearic Islands because it's warm, unlike the UK. And I don't know what it's like there now, but in my day, the cost of living was pennies on the pound. My grandfather had property in Palma de Mallorca, 
And we enjoyed a lot of summers there, a great many summers there as teenagers. Uh, anyway, and that has nothing to do with Rodney's question, which is, people talk about overcoming ego as though it is an easy thing to do. It is not. I was in therapy for years, and it was useful to an extent. But I never got to the bottom of my issues. I learned deep breathing, positive visualization, meditation, but the anxiety, the unease, the fear, it always came back. I began to think of myself as a loser, someone who couldn't take the steps necessary to make my home-based business successful. One day, out of the blue, my cousin sent me a link to one of your martini shows. In that show, you described the ego as a software program, not part of the original divine blueprint, but written in later by malevolent forces to disconnect mankind from its divine origins. It was like a bolt of lightning, Ani. Shazam! It fell into place. It made sense. Thank you, Ani. I will never miss a show now that you're on BitChute. Love from Rodney, living the dream in Mallorca. Rodney, mi amigo. Wow, how wonderful. I'm delighted. I'm tickled. Um, I'm just, oh, I'm, my sissy is tickled. I, I just don't know what to say. Happy to be of service, sir. And please, have a pint of uh, Mahu Cinco Estrellas for me. I always enjoyed that beer. Perfect for those uh, hot Mallorcan days on the beach. Where are we? What's happening? Let me have a drink. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Drinking here. Mm. Mm. You know, I could easily drink five or six of those, but we don't do that, my darlings, do we? No, we don't, because we're functional drinkers. We drink one cocktail. And I think I'm going to say that's it for Quack for today's show. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to write in. Um, I know that you have your choice of shamans, and I thank you for flying uh, Cosmicani. You know, questions, answers, and comments, Quack. That's the reason we started this show in the first place, to learn the inner workings of the minds of we the people. And it does seem that we the people are quite pissed off these days and with good reason. Let me take a moment now to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible, mysticalwares.com in Mount Vernon, Washington. If you need any supplies, metaphysical, spiritual, anything related to the expansion of consciousness, mysticalwares.com. Online or on location, you will give them a standing ovation because Mystical Wares is like a giant candy store, but it's for grown-ups. Check them out and tell them I sent you. Let's move on now to Plato Chips, where we quote, I, you know what, <clears throat> I don't know if you think that's funny, but I think that's very, very funny that the philosophy corner is called Plato Chips. I, allow me just to congratulate myself for my cleverness for just a moment. All right, Plato Chips, where we quote a philosopher of note. And today's intellectualizer is none other than Niccolo di Bernardo de Machiavelli, occasionally rendered in English as Nicholas Machiavel. This chappie was born May the 3rd, 1469, and he met his end on June the 21st, 1527. Who was he and why do we care? We care because I kind of like him. He was an Italian diplomat, author, philosopher, and historian living during the Renaissance. 
He's best known for his political treatise, The Prince, and that was written around 1513, but not published, I think, until about, well, it was published in 1532. I highly recommend reading The Prince. It is a handbook for unscrupulous politicians, and uh, that inspired, that book inspired the term Machiavellian, you know, cunning. He's also the author of a number of additional political treatises, like um, the Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, as well as multiple literary texts, uh, two comedies, uh, a bunch of poems. But the prince, well, in my opinion, that's the prince of his writing. Uh, what do we know about him? Um, you know, he's a chap that came along and stirred the pot. And uh, one of those people that didn't stir the pot always in a good way. But it keeps us on our toes. It realigns our goals and our woes. Philosophers, this way by Aristotle. And of course, you've all read Aristotle. Of course, you have. Everyone's baseline for philosophy is Aristotle. But then Machiavelli came. And I think we can consider that his philosophy was definitely not in the arena of virtue, and it can be considered out of bounds. Machiavelli was born in Florence, as I said, May 3rd, 1469, a time when Italy was divided into four rival city-states and therefore was at the mercy of stronger governments throughout the rest of Europe. As a young man, he became a diplomat after the temporary fall of Florence's ruling Medici family, 1494 circa. He served in that position for 14 years in Italy's Florentine Republic during the Medici's, uh, Medici, Medici, what do you call them? The Medici's family exile. During that time, he earned a reputation for deviousness and he enjoyed shocking his associates by appearing more shameless than he truly was. After his involvement in an unsuccessful attempt to organize a Florentine militia against the return of the Medici family to power in 1512 became known, poor old Machiavelli was jailed and tortured, ouch, and banished from an active role in political life. Now, you could say that was a dark period in his career, but his time away from politics gave him the opportunity to read Roman history and to write his political essays, most notably The Prince. The main theme of this, I think a rather short work, was about the rule of monarchy and the survival. Um, you know, uh, it, it's about man's capacity for determining his own destiny in opposition to the power of fate which has been interpreted as the political philosophy that one may resort to any means in order to establish and preserve total authority. In other words, this work is the handbook for politicians who want to learn to be ruthless, self-serving, cunning. And, you know, many believe that the book's title character, The Prince, was based upon the infamous Cesare Borgia. And some scholars consider it a satire. Pope Clement VIII condemned the prince for its endorsement of rule by deceit and fear. My gosh, a Catholic pope um, having an objection to ruling by deceit and fear. What next? One excerpt from the book reads, Since love and fear can hardly exist together, if we must choose between them, it is far safer to be feared than loved. Interesting. In his later years, 
Machiavelli resided in a small village just outside Florence. He died in that city in um, 1527. His tomb is in the church of uh, Santa Croce in Florence, which ironically he had been banned from entering during the last years of his life. Uh, many regard Machiavelli as the father of modern political theory. Now, some random notes I'll throw out there, because, you know, this chap certainly made an impact. I kind of like him, but, you know, there's something about me. I, I like bad boys. What is that? His writings have unsettled people. They disturbed people to their core, you know, for centuries. They still do. 16th century ranking clergymen um, referred to his works as written by the finger of Satan. And during the Elizabethan era, I think the Elizabethans hated him. They abs probably because they he called them on their shit. They hated him and they condemned his works relentlessly. Um, Frederick Meineker wrote Machiavelli's doctrine was a sword thrust in the body politic of Western humanity, causing it to cry out and struggle against itself. You know, he's characterized by manipulation, duplicity, strategic exploitation. Mm, yes, I mean, you read the book, you can't disagree, but. But, my darlings, I wonder sometimes if that is altogether fair. I'm not saying or suggesting that Machiavelli was warm and fuzzy. But wasn't he just a very clever chap? who figured out the system, and having witnessed firsthand man's inability to adhere to a moral compass, decided that love was a weakness and success could only be achieved and maintained through cunning, deceit, intrigue, and a strong undercurrent of fear? Hmm. Let's examine a couple of quotes from the big guy. Always assume incompetence before looking for conspiracy. Well, I'm going to have to agree with that one. Ah, here's one of my favorites. A government which does not trust its citizens to be armed is not itself to be trusted. Yes, I dedicate that to the current administration working diligently to destroy America and um, put us in the new world order pot of goo. Politics have no relation to morals, says Machiavelli. Mm, that doesn't mean politics shouldn't have a relation to morals, but apparently they just don't, and we see that every day. Machiavelli thought the unarmed man is not just defenseless, he is also contemptible. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I am a big Second Amendment supporter, as we know. And uh, I think this is one of his better known quotes. One of the great secrets of the day is to know how to take possession of popular prejudices and passions in such a way as to introduce a confusion of principles which makes impossible all understanding between those who speak the same language and have the same interests. On the nail. This is what's happening all around us today with this uh, critical race theories and the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa and people just getting up on television and lying to your face and saying, I never said that, even though they're being shown a hundred clips of them on television saying that. Machiavelli. Yes, 
go to your library and ask them to get you a copy of the prints read it and then take a look at what's going on around you today uh, and drop me a line and uh, tell me you know tell me what you think of it all and that my darlings is the end of plato chips for today and it's time for me to take another sippy poo of my drinky poo excusez-moi Mm, I wish I'd made a bigger one because it is shiny. Moderate your drinking. No, it's very tasty. Okay, here we go. What should we do next? You know, it's the new year and we're all a bit crazy from the last few years. Let's do some weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And if I can find my kazoo, I will give it a kazoo introduction. Okay. Today, I think we'll focus on weird words for nerds, and we'll look at the origin of some of our favorite sayings. And I want to thank Rosalind, who is from Tacoma in Washington, for sending these in to me. Rosalind is a, an English major. So, yes, weird words for nerds. That would be right up your alley, wouldn't it? So... Let's look at some of the expressions that we use quite often, but we don't really know what they mean or where they came from. We know what they mean, but we don't know their origin. So the first one that Rosalind said was close, but no cigar. If we think about that, what does it mean? Close, but no cigar. Now, we know it means um, someone who falls slightly short of a successful or winning outcome. You know, you almost made it, but you didn't made it. But what's the historical context? Well, Rosalind believes that it originated from the 1920s when cigars were handed out as prizes at fairs and carnivals. I mean, clearly for adults, um, you know, rather than children. So, you know, you if you shot six of the bunnies out of seven, it was close, but no cigar. You didn't get your cigar prize. Interesting. I didn't know that. Another one is laundry list. Now, we know what it means. You know, you give somebody a list, they go, oh, my God, this is a laundry list. And that means typically a very long list of items. But if we find the historical context, back in the 1800s, more than 2,000 patents were filed for washing machines in the United States. So a new business popped up because of that commercial laundry services for those who didn't want to buy the very expensive new machines but they still hated doing their laundry the old-fashioned way which would have been by hand you know and throwing them against a rock and then putting them through the ringer so to ensure that no customers lost a stray sock users of the service had to list out the items they were sending to be washed and that laundry list was born. So listing out each item of clothing was probably very tiresome, um, as tiresome perhaps as doing the laundry. But in the 1860s, the process was improved by providing customers a handy itemized list of clothing articles where they could fill in a tally of their laundry. So that's where we get the term laundry list from. The other one Rosalind has sent in is Three Sheets to the Wind. Ah, yeah, I've been there, I'm sorry to say. Um, it means extremely inebriated. You've had far too much to drink. But what's the historical context? Three Sheets to the Wind, it's sailing lingo. 
Um, but it's got nothing to do with drunken sailors or the sails themselves. Um, sheets, apparently, are actually ropes that hold the lower corners of the sails on a ship in place. So if one is unfortunate enough to have three sheets loose and flailing in the wind, the sails and the boat will also flail about, much like someone who's had far too many drinks. So um, there it is. If you're really drunk, you have three sheets to the wind, but it's a, it's a sailor's term um, for not being battened down properly. And she sent a few more. Let's see if we can get through a, a, a few more of these. Um, the proof of the pudding. What does that mean? So that's been adapted to the proof is in the pudding. But the original term is the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now, sounds like that makes sense. The true value of something is best determined by using the said item, right? The exact phrase we believe was first recorded in the early 1600s, the idea of tasting a pudding to test it probably dates back to medieval times where pretty much every food group was called a pudding. But these puddings were not like jello snack pack variety puddings, but they were savory concoctions, mystery meats, uh, um, all types of cuts of meat, including intestine, yummy, yummy, or stomach, ugh, um, that may or may not have been contaminated. So now we're getting to the truth of this. So the only true way to find out if your pudding was good or poisonous was to eat it and see for yourself because they would mix up these puddings, these mince meats and all of these different uh, things that we would probably not eat today. And they would let them, um, I was going to say proof, but they would let them cure sometimes for months. And, you know, bits of stomach and intestines and stuff, they could go off. So the only way to find out was to eat your pudding. And if you vomited, it wasn't good. And if you stood up straight and went, that's not bad. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now, here's another one. Um, it's called happy as a clam. We say, oh, he's as happy as a clam. And we know what that means, obviously, because the word happy is in it. It means somebody's very happy or content. And I always thought it has something to do with the clam smiling. It looks like, I mean, I don't know if clams smile, but it looks like they have a big smile. But it's, um, the whole idiom is actually happy as a clam in the mud at high tide. What does that mean? Well, it is thought to have originated with sailors and shellfish gatherers in the mid 1600s. The shortened version didn't appear till the 1800s. And clams generally live and reproduce in shallow water. So low tide, when the ocean ebbs furthest from the shore, leaves a clam at its most exposed and vulnerable. A clam at high tide then would be safe and perhaps happy. So happy as a clam, um, you were, it is not going to make sense unless you add the in the mud at high time, at high tide. I learn something on this show every time I learn something. Thank you so much, Rosalind, for sending these in. Let's do one more. Um, this is one of my favorite expressions. We use that a lot in England. It's the bee's knees. Oh, that's the bee's knees. And we know that it means that it's something very cool. You know, the, the, the best of something. 
but we, nobody really knows where it came from. But we think it started in the 18th century as a joke phrase for something that didn't exist. Because you see, bees don't have knees. Um, an apprentice might be sent to the store to pick up imaginary items, um, you know, such as a left-handed hammer, a glass hammer, a ham tree, uh, seven cases of bees' knees, that sort of thing. You know how people do, you know, tease the new people, don't they? They knew, tease the new boys. So um, in the Roaring Twenties, however, the meaning changed. The hip slang of the time, the hip slang of the time, was to use nonsense phrases to epitomize something that was excellent or the very best, like the cat's pajamas or the snake's hips. So some of these stuck better than others, um, and the bee's knees became a favorite. Uh, there was also a cocktail around that time, though, in the Roaring Twenties called the bee's knees. So possibly that's why it remained popular. I'm going to have to look up that cocktail. And we'll do um, another one, one more. Um, it's pushing the envelope. Where did that come from? What does it mean? Well, when you push the envelope, you're surpassing normal limits. You're doing something daring, something a little bit risque. It sounds like a saying that originated in an office. But uh, apparently it originally referred to aeronautics. In spaceflight, the envelope refers to performance limits that can't be surpassed safely. And the phrase made its way into the everyday vernacular when it appeared in Tom Wolfe's 1979 nonfiction book, The Right Stuff, which discussed the pilots of experimental rocket-propelled aircraft. The phrase used is pushing the outside of the envelope interesting. I've learned something today, darlings. Um, I hope you have too. So I think we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you so much, Rosalind from Tacoma, for sending those in. And now, my darlings, it's time for me to have another little sip of my drinky poop. Hold on. Mm. I do look forward to every other Wednesday because that's pretty much the only time I allow myself a drink these days. Let's do a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks, after a hard day's shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home, having a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, and writing really bad, yet occasionally brilliant, non-peer-reviewed poetry. That's what I do, my darlings. I have cocktails and I write poems. So this is a little something I came up with the other day. Uh, it's called, uh, it doesn't have a name. So I'm going to call it Random Notes on Life Part 1 because there will be other drinks in my future and there will be other parts to this poem. But here we go, my uh, contribution to the new year. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Motivation comes and goes. Rituals help us focus. A stitch in time does save nine. We have a bogus potus. Resist the desire to fit in. The matrix is unstable. Honor the soul within the skin. Put just enough food on the table. When evening comes and the day is done, take time for quiet reflection. Incur no debt. Buy at least one gun. Don't mistake lust for affection. Tread softly, breathe deeply. Be alert, be aware. 
trust God completely to bless your affairs. But this, above all, in print on your mind, when you look in the mirror, smile and be kind. Ah, I feel all warm and fuzzy now from that. Darlings, let me take a moment to remind you to visit my website once in a while, um, www.arniavidician.com. You'll find a list of all of my services. And I highly recommend you tune into my monthly Cosmic Conversations. They happen usually on the last Saturday of each month. And they're 90-minute presentations, short, informal, fun, fascinating, on various New Age subjects. Um, we are going to be doing Edgar Casey, the sleeping psychic, at the end of this month. I don't remember the dates offhand, so uh, please do go to the website and take a look. And do sign up for my newsletter. There is a form on there. It's a monthly newsletter. It's, um, it's short and it's sweet and it's full of buttery goodness, just like me. And the reason you want the newsletter is because, well, it's fun and it has my poems and all of my pontifications on it. But more than that, I do put a lot of, uh, you know, instant um, discounts and coupons and all sorts of things there that, you know, help us to, to afford some of my services. Not that I'm particularly expensive. I'm way below uh, the norm, I think, because I, I happen to think that if you can't afford me, I can't be of any use to you. So do check it out and sign up for one of those Cosmic Conversations. They're live on Zoom. If you can't make it, you, you know, you can request to have the audio sent to you. But my core Zoom Cosmic Conversations group, they're a funny bunch of men and women. I think you'll really enjoy hanging out with them. All right, where are we? What are we doing for time? Oh, my God, my darlings. I think we're coming up to the end of the show. I think that's it for the show. Let me finish my drinky poo. Oh, I have finished my drinky poo. And that always means the end of the show. I do hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it because I had a blast. I always do. And today's real life cocktail was, wait for it, a classic black velvet. And here's how you make it. Take four ounces of chilled champagne. It doesn't have to be expensive, but I am using Verve Clicquot. And four ounces of chilled stout. I am using Guinness because I absolutely bloody love Guinness. Pour the champagne to about halfway up the glass and slowly top it up with the stout. Now, this black velvet was created by a London steward. It was served while the country was in mourning over the 1861 death of Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert. And she adored him and she probably drank a lot of these, a great many of these after he died. If you want the separation between the champagne and the stout, use the old bartender's trick of pouring the beer over the back of a spoon because that disrupts the, the flow and it will float, you see. Now, my darlings, remember cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one big drink is all you need. I'm Arnie, mad as a hatter, shaman Abadician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful until we meet again. Don't let the propagandists sever your connection to common sense. And above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human.
You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Abdesian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest shungite collections available.